Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Everyone's calmed down over the last week, right? We're all good. Everything's, have, have we? Everything's chill now. I think people are at peace. No, no. Uh, I'm still. It's. I'm still seeing like every day I wake up and there's like tweet th- tweet threads from all the Flyers Twitter. Like, actually, this is what's wrong. And then like other people trying to. Well, maybe if I'm optimistic, I can see this. But also, no, probably not. Uh, fuck. Like, <laughs> and that's, like, that's the be- that's the most optimistic take. Like, yeah, maybe. Maybe. And that's, that's it. So, uh, we're gonna get into everything that's been going on in Flyers land. And we have the full crew back together for the first time in a little bit. So, let's get right into it. Let's lead it off with Stephalicious D, Steph Driver. Man, I had COVID. And... Zero stars. Do not recommend. I don't know if you could still hear that, like, I'm still rough, and it's been two weeks. Um, So yesterday, just catching up on what the Flyers have done since I got sick, and I got sick before the draft party. So, like, I have vague fever memories of what happened at the draft. Like, Shane Wright slipped to four. Um, But I, I couldn't quite... Like, I was so sick. Uh, So I caught up on all of the things that the Flyers did yesterday uh, with the help of Steve Jacot and um, I think Ryan Quigley were walking me through what happened. Um, (laughs) And I just could not stop laughing, guys. I, I I, I can't think that this team is not the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's... It's quite, quite a combination right. of players that they've put together. I uh, like I, if if you just embrace the dead inside piece of fandom and just look at this team on the surface, and you're seeing Chuck Fletcher in real time. In real time, he is flailing and he is in deep water, and you see you see Jaws and he's coming. Like, and and, and you look at the desperation moves. It's funny. Ooh, what do we got? Oh, the train's coming by about an hour late right now. So Hell yeah. Excellent. Edit that out. Or I won't. <laughs> I mean, there's probably... I right. love this for all there's of probably- us. There's probably... Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very funny desperation moves, and I'm, I'm entertained. I'm entertained. I'm upset that we're all going to have to watch this team next season, but we'll get into that. See, are they really desperation moves, or are they just, like, moves that aren't nearly going to be enough? Yeah, dumb moves. <laughs> I think that some of the things that Chuck Fletcher has done is flailing trying to save his own ass. I, I mean, if he thinks this is what's going to save him, he's a fucking idiot. Well, 
You had a quote from one of the shows, you, Bill. The quote was, either Chuck Fletcher is a liar or he's an imbecile. And I want to get that tattooed on my body. Because that is accurate. Yeah. From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Charlie appeared last night on the Overnight Show with me. We had a nice conversation about some of the things we're going to talk about today, but I complimented him, like, to your point, Steph. I complimented him on my favorite part of basically his one-on-one press conference with Chuck Fletcher, uh, where Charlie gave Chuck an out. He was like, so, you know, judging by the moves, maybe this is more of a rebuild than a retool year? And he goes, it's a... It's a retool, Charlie. And I just asked name. Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a retool, Charlie. All right. What's retooled? In what way is this team different? Like, they don't have Ryan Ellis to start the year? Like, they have Tony D'Angelo instead? That's it. That, that's the, like, the biggest, like, what's different, Charlie? I do think that, what like, probably the funniest part of this whole thing, truly the funniest part, is the fact that they brought back Justin Braun. And the funny thing is, is Maybe. that like yes. it's not it's not even I think that was a bad move. Justin Braun is a perfectly fine third pair defensive. They brought him back on a one million dollar million dollar contract with about a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of potential bonuses. It's not a bad contract compared to a lot of the other moves that Chuck made this offseason. It's pretty smart. But it's just funny. It's funny because they basically, aside from swapping in D'Angelo, and I said this on, on the on the radio show last night, aside from swapping in D'Angelo for Ryan Ellis, which, like, Ryan Ellis is a lot better than Tony D'Angelo as an f- all-around defenseman, and presumably putting Cam York in for Keith Yandel, which, by the way, they could have done that at any point last season. Like, the only reason why they didn't do that is because they didn't want to. It wasn't because they couldn't. Aside from that, it looks like they're bringing back everybody. Like, they brought back Justin Braun after trading him. They brought back Kevin Connaughton. They brought back Nick Sealer. Oh, yeah. They brought back everybody. They brought back the whole gang that was terrible. And, like, another, it's a retool, Charlie. An, another low key funny part about the Justin Braun resigning is that leading up to the trades deadline, everybody on social media was like, well, what if they trade Claude Drew, get assets, and then sign him back? Wouldn't that be great? And they did that, but with Justin Braun. (laughs) (laughs) Justin fucking Braun. That's exactly exactly when I fucking lost it, when Steve was telling me what happened. I'm like, Justin Braun is back, and I just couldn't stop Chuck read all those suggestions on Twitter and was like, that's a great idea. Let me do that with Justin Braun. I, uh, like, Steph mentioned what the funniest part is. I do think maybe Justin Braun is the funniest part. Because they're touting it, and me and Kelly talked about this last week. They're touting it as like, well, he'll help the penalty kill. He was there. No, he'll he'll make the penalty penalty kill the same. He'll make the penalty kill the same because he's fucking been here the whole time. I almost died. Like there, there were a couple times during that, like essentially that one on one, where I really had to bite my tongue. That little aside, when he was like, well, he'll help the penalty kill. Like he's been here, man. He's been here. It was. We know what this player is. He's not a boat. And like, I like the him. penalty kill was bad with him. <laughs> yeah, I like him. He's fine, but like, he, he he's not a difference maker. He's a no, third pair defensive defense. He's not. I I've got so I've got so many things we'll to say. To I don't want to 
say it right in the beginning, but yeah, bringing back Justin Braun was the funniest thing I saw. But like, did. like say Last what you will, sir. say what you will about. Let me. I go one more, one more thing. But like, say what you will about what they did last summer and last off season. At least they did stuff, and like they could sell that like the team's <laughs> gonna be different. This yeah. time, they're basically just running it back with Tony D'Angelo with worse players. <laughs> like, that's what they're with doing. Tiny meatballs. Yeah. Last but certainly not least, the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. So I'm going to take this in a totally different direction. Um, friend of the pod, Albert Klein, popped up in our Broad Street Hockey Slack chat recently after a lengthy absence. And he said something that has stuck with me, and I think I'm going to embrace it. And that was, have fun with them being bad. <laughs> like, it's just a sports team. <laughs> enjoy the hilarity of them being this terrible. And I think I'm going to try to do that for as long as I can. I, because being miserable oh yeah, that's sucks. that's where I'm at, for sure. Uh, like, in my attempt to be optimistic, because, like, what the, you know, they're going to be bad. You know, it's going to happen. But every year, I go in saying, like, oh, I expect them to compete for the division, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, this year, I just expect them to be mediocre at best. Maybe. Since I'm wrong every year, <laughs> this is the good. year, William. This they'll is the good. year. <laughs> I just, all right, come on, y'all. Uh, yeah, we, I, we know. Let's slow down. We yeah, know that I, that's not happening. Steph, I, I just I cannot. I cannot have you committed from down here. You know that this isn't happening. I'm just I trying. Know you know that this isn't happening. You I guys, don't know. listen, we listen. Have, all right, we've done all the intros. What Chuck Fletcher did in the past two weeks has ensured, ensured that we will never see a Flyer Stanley Cup in our lifetime. Well, that might be a little right. much. Settle, unless, you ex- down. unless you expect we're going to die in the next five years. Yeah, let's well, I mean, that's always a possibility. <laughs> but listen, so the way that he has fucked up this team, we're looking at the next five years just to undo what he has done in the past two years, right? <sighs> And then they need to restock. And then they they still need to figure out how to run a hockey team. And they haven't done that in 50 years. Okay, well, well, it's that last part that's the big one. So tell me, how how is Chuck Fletcher, the GM after him, and then the GM after that? So now we're looking 10 years in the future. Danny Breer's How are they going to fix this team? Because they can't. There isn't enough in the pipeline. There aren't enough good players that are young enough now. And they're just bad. Like, they're straight up bad. There is no path out of this for the next decade. Well, like, the next Flyer Superstar is, like, 12 years old right now. Yeah. Yeah. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me the world. All they have to do is have one really bad year, get the first overall pick, and that guy happened to be a star, and then suddenly they're in a much better place. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying. Look at all of the things that have to go right in order for that to happen. Well, in all honesty, like, like, as as disappointing of an offseason as this has been for Chuck Fletcher— it hasn't been one that has, like, like the Delorier contract is dumb because it's four years, but it's not that much money. Like, when they buy it out in two, it won't kill them to pay that yeah, tax like, for four years. Yeah, like, they're not really, it's not like the things that Chuck did this offseason has hamstrung the Flyers for years to come. Like, yeah, he traded away a bunch of picks for Tony D'Angelo, but, like, none of them were first-round picks. I'd rather have them because I'd rather have more lottery tickets to get better, but... It's not like it's not like this team is crushed because they lost a second round pick in twenty twenty four 
I remember, I forget which year this is the second round pick was. Like, I believe it's 24. Yeah, like, they have assets. They The biggest thing for me, based on what Steph said, is, like, how can you trust that the next guy who comes in will be any better? Like, that's the biggest term. But, I mean, bad teams, bad teams stumble into good players all the time. So, it could happen. Yeah. We're the Buffalo Sabres. Except not. We're like we're nowhere near as good as the Buffalo well, Sabres. They have much much better infrastructure. The, the next general manager yeah, like, after Chuck Fletcher, and I don't believe that Chuck Fletcher will survive this entire season. Um, I don't believe that Chuck Fletcher will be the general manager this time next year. I think that that's the safest way to say what I'm trying to say. It would be surprising um, if the team's bad. The general I can't manager imagine he after him. What was I that? Said, if a team's bad, I can't imagine he survives. And there's a good chance no, team's going to be he's bad. Not, he's, he knows. He knows. We know this is his last season to get it right. And he's not, he didn't get it right. So the guy after Chuck Fletcher is going to have to fix Chuck Fletcher's mistakes. Like Chuck Fletcher had to do with Ron Hextall. Like Ron Hextall had to do for Paul Holmgren. Like Paul Holmgren had to do for... Bob we're Paul. now reaching past my, my working memory of general managers. But... The next guy is going to have to fix what Chuck Fletcher fucked up. And that's not going to be quick because of the league that we're, we, the, the league that we cover. Delorier, no trade clause for the first two years. Yeah. The first two it's years, 20, so we're stuck with him. It's a 20 team. I mean, they could find he a team. It's my entire they asshole. Find a team. Why is Chuck Fletcher giving Nick Delorier $4 million and a no trade clause? In defense of the no trade clause. A no. four-year Delorier contract is in itself a no-trade clause. No one's taking that. Excellent point. Yeah, but like, yeah. imagine, imagine being Delorier and knowing your contract is actually like six years because it's gonna get bought out after two. Like that's guaranteed. I guarantee after two years he gets bought out, and then it extends another two. Like that will be hilarious for everyone all around. Uh, but I, I, I just yeah, but to yeah, get but this real but quick. but Bill, Bill, here's here's what we forget about Nick Delorier. Players like him are hard to find. Oh, that's I have a whole take about where where he's going to play to start the year coming up. But I want to start with his uh his bash brother, Zach McEwen, files for salary arbitration a couple days ago. Can someone please promise me we're going to get those two in the same I lineup? Hope so. Like I at this it. point, eighty two yes, fights, do it. eighty two fights minimum is the goal this year. Uh, 61 majors is what Nashville led the league with. We need 82 fights. Uh, I want over a thousand penalty minutes. I want this to literally be the fucking Broad Street Bullies. And the only way to ensure that, like, Charlie, you're talking about Cam York stepping in. <laughs> it's going to be Nick Sealer, buddy. Uh, I hate to tell you. Nick Sealer. <laughs> let's, let's just fucking do it. Let's just fucking do it. Because if we're going to have to watch this team, you know what? Let's, let's at least share the brain damage like let's just that was really morbid i am so sorry that was dark but if we're gonna have to watch this team let me watch fights let me watch them fuck some people up. I, you know i said a few months ago this was before the re-signing of rest Ristolainen. Um, but it was when it was a pretty apparent they were going to do it you know before they'd actually agree to the contract but like we knew it was coming and i basically said that like Ristolainen, in fairness and like not to a five-year contract. Ugh. If you were trying to stealth tank, <laughs> signing Ristolainen to like a two-year deal worth like seven mil a year is like the perfect way to stealth tank because he's bad and he'll be entertaining because he hits people and he does stuff. 
And the Delorier thing, like, a lot of the moves that they've done, like, Delorier, you ha- you bring back Zach McEwen, like, they're... They could sell this as a stealth tank, and I could be like, you know what? This is what they're doing. They're they're figuring that, well, we're going to be bad, so if we're bad, we might as well beat the crap out of some people while we're bad. And you know what? I would respect that strategy. I would respect the hell out of it. The problem is, that's not their strategy. They're no, getting these guys they think because they think, gonna they think they're going to be good. So it's yeah. like, they're, they're, they they're, straight up they're accidentally believes that these are good players, that these are good moves. Chuck Fletcher thinks he's making the team better. They're accidentally doing what I suggested they do three or four months ago, but the reason why I can't praise them for it is because they're accidentally doing it. Maybe the stealth tank is actually Dave Scott keeping Chuck Fletcher in the role. <laughs> like, maybe the stealth tank starts there. Like, yeah, let's let Chuck Fletcher think he's improving the team, but I, but that's the problem to me. If they... It, if they were just trying to be bad, I'd be fine. They're going to be mediocre. The big like, thing that that's throws, what's going to happen. The big thing that throws all of the stealth tank out the window for me is the Tortorella hire. Because yes. it, Tortorella that's is a good enough coach that he will make this team at least not one of the three worst teams in hockey. And then it's like, well, then what was the point of all this? What was the point? This was the, the, the argument I've been screaming for the last week. If this is what you were going to do, what the fuck was the point of hiring John Tortorella? If you're going to give him this team, why did you hire him? Why? It doesn't make any sense because he'll make this team better but not good, but he'll make them better enough that they're not going to bottom out and get the guys who they need to get good. That's absolutely what I can't wrap my head around. Have, have we confirmed for sure that Chuck Fletcher is not two separate people? Because that's the only way, that's the only way I can look at this strategy and be like, yeah, okay. Because there's one guy who wants to make the big splash with the big coach hire and and wants to move the organization forward, wants to change the story. And then there's another guy who is signing Tony D'Angelo and Justin Braun and Nick Delorier and thinks that 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 makes the team better. And doesn't pursue Johnny Goudreau because reasons. Like, that, reasons. that's the guy. Because reasons. Like, that's the guy that wants, that, that hired John Tortorella to move the team forward. It doesn't make sense. And the only, the only way that I can rationalize it in my brain is saying there's got to be two different Chuck Fletchers because... The same man cannot look me straight in the face and say every single one of these moves that I've made makes the team better and is moving us forward and changing the flyer story. I'll tell you. Absolutely no way. I'll no, tell you exactly. Thinks, though. Yeah. I'll tell you exactly the reason for the Tortorella hiring. It came from ownership in an yeah. attempt, in an attempt, as Charlie kind of said uh, in the press conference, to sell the fan base a bill of goods. They made that Tortorella hiring. It might have excited some people. They go and buy tickets before free agency happens. And then nothing happens in free agency. They're stuck. Like, that's it to me. It was an attempt to excite people to sell a few extra tickets. Uh, Like, oh, look, they got Tortorella. They must be going for it. There's no other reason. And then they don't go for shit. But, But that's the thing. It's like, and this is the big critique I've been making, is that you can't go half in. Like It's the Hexball plan all over again. If you're going to... If you're going to rebuild, then rebuild. 
if you're going to go for it, which, to be clear, I don't think it's smart for them to go for it. This is why I had an issue with the John Tortorella hire, even though I think he's a good coach, because I think it's dumb to go for it. But if you're going to hire him and you're going to go for it, then fucking go for it. You got to go for it all the way, which includes getting the flashy free agent. Who wanted to come here? Who wanted to come here? Like, to have a top five player in the entire sport want to come to your team and your reaction is, well, it's going to be really hard (laughs) for me to move salary. So we're just not going to do that. Ownership cannot be happy. There is no way that ownership can be happy with this situation. I I cannot imagine there's any single person within the broader Flyers organization that's happy Particularly right now. because they've become a laughingstock, like, publicly. Yeah. Yes, yes. On the national stage. And there's no way people aren't noticing spitting chicklets laughing like, literally, like, at the, the Flyers. The, the entire ESPN, like, setup on ESPN Plus that was doing on Free Agency Day, they were laughing, openly yeah. laughing, that the Flyers prioritize re-signing Rasmus Ristolainen and trading for and signing Tony D'Angelo rather than saving up money for Johnny Goudreau. And then, as you said, yeah. on Spitting Chicklets, these are the old school guys. These are players. They're and they're, goons. They, they're they're goons. two goons. And they're laughing yeah. that they wanted Rasmus Ristolainen, who's a guy who they should like instead of Johnny Goudreau. If you've they lost, were laughing at the Delorier contract as well. If like, you've lost them, Terrian. If you've lost them. Flyers piss baby himself, Chris Terrian. Is is looking at this team being like, what the fuck are you well, doing well, when he's been in, in fairness, Chris Terrian just is angry at the Flyers in but, general. So well, and he's no, angry at the organization, yeah. not the players. That's, that's it's something mm, me I think and he Kelly hates all of them actually. It's something <laughs> right, me and Kelly fair. talked about last week. Like Chuck Fletcher, maybe his best role could be in American politics. I realize he's Canadian. When you said his that, ability I was to unite driving. this city. Yeah. I was driving when I heard that. Wait, wait, wait. And I damn near had to wait. pull over my car. Wait. Like the noise that I made, it was like a laugh, cry, spit, choke situation. I believe like, that that is what needs to happen next because I have never felt so part of a fan base this recently. Hold, hold, hold right on a now second because here. Because we all hate that. I got to jump in. Is Chuck oh. Fletcher the Jim Kenny of sports? <laughs> Everyone oh, unites. No. Everyone. Everyone unites in hate. Everyone unites in hate. He hasn't. Him. He hasn't quite said. I can't wait to not be general manager of. I mean, it might be coming. I mean, I was gonna has say, it very soon. He didn't say it out loud, but yeah. I feel like the subtext of that entire Q and A with Charlie was, "I don't want to fucking be in this room right now. I don't want to answer the, any of the, these questions." The 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 body language of Chuck Fletcher in that press conference was. I think you should leave. I don't want to be around anymore. Like that's <laughs> he was the fucking meme in that press conference. Uh, I want to get so. All was. right, here's the question, and I'm asking this just about the on ice players. So I was looking at Scott Lawton got married this weekend. It was a very lovely ceremony. I assume it looked very nice. Saw all of the players that are friends with Scott Lawton at the wedding on social media and and it hurt my heart because it's guys that aren't here anymore that are having the best time with Scott Lawton who is still here um and just like being fun and being likable and I miss when the Flyers themselves were likable so here's the scenario 
all of the flyers are at Scott Lawton's wedding. He drops a match. No one's dying. No one's getting seriously injured, but they're all catching on fire. You can save one of them. Not Scott Lawton because it's his wedding. He dropped the match. Who would you save? So wait, you're saying Scott Lawton's Ready? dead? He did. No, no one is dead, but Scott Lawton is already saved because he's the one that- Oh, oh okay. Fire. Okay, so he's fine. Uh, he's fine. Is Taryn there? Uh, <laughs> is Taryn there? Is Taryn there? I would personally save Joel Farabee, and that's it, and that's just because I like him. I, I am going to respectfully decline to answer this question. Oh, because you don't want to light players on fire? Yeah. That's the only thing I want to do Yeah, right I now. probably do not want to answer this question for journalistic reasons. I'd save Michael Roffel. Oh, love that for us. That was Claude yeah. Giroux and Jake Voracek's job for long enough. <laughs> I will drag him around as they did. Yeah. Just tie him to their ankles. I, I just... Who would you save, Bill? I... I don't know. Right. Taryn. You would save yeah, Taryn. Taryn, probably. I respect it. Um, so I want to talk I, about... Like, there's nobody that I like on this team except for Scott Lawton and Joel Farabee. Like, they're just unlikable. I still like And they, they built yeah, this okay. entire team around Kevin Hayes and his buddies. And then Kevin Hayes comes out and says, No, Tony D'Angelo, real good guy. You know who else Kevin Hayes thought was a really good guy? Keith Yandel. How'd that work out? I mean, he is a he's, good guy. He's not going to say a bad <laughs> he's just thing a about bad hockey totally player. Totally a good guy. How'd it work out for the Flyers? I'm talking about oh, yeah, on ice. He's a bad hockey player. Yeah, like uh, he's hey, gonna, one time he was good. He, Look, is listen, he say I, his teammates bad. Like who's yeah, ever he's said not that? Going to nobody say, doesn't have to say anything at all. Yes, I mean, he does. If someone asks him if the question, what's he supposed to do? Did anybody ask Kevin Hayes? Yes. No, Bill Meltzer like, talking to? asked him. Who's he could very easily have not responded to Bill Meltzer's text. It's not like he's in a press conference and he's or avoiding he likes question. Tony D'Angelo as a person. He was, I, I mean, he was popular in the, the Hurricanes locker room. Yeah, he People was, he, yeah, Hayes has been buddies with D'Angelo dating back to their time with the Rangers. I mean, that, that's something that's, that's yeah. been, that's been a, I mean, a not very well-kept secret for a long time that they've been buddies. And they're all part, like, they're all part of the, the Johnny G connection. Like, they're yeah. all, it's that whole group. I mean, listen, I was not run off the internet with threats of murdering my one-year-old nephews for no reason. <laughs> like, these, they're all scumbags. They're all scumbags, well, and they're all... all right, okay, Kevin wait, Hayes no, didn't stop. Kevin Hayes didn't do that. Kevin, Kevin Hayes, Hayes did not do that. that. Barstool did that, because you I mentioned Barstool. Kevin Hayes talking about Tony D'Angelo. The problem, the thing that got you in trouble with that tweet was you invoked the Barstool. <laughs> If you had just mentioned Kevin Hayes, I don't think it would have been as big of a problem for you. You mentioned I didn't Barstool. Even say them. You you did. You said that website. That's, that's website. all they, that's, that's <laughs> Come on. About. That's all they needed. Like those people are psychotic. They're a yeah. fucking cult. If you say they are a cult. If you talk about them on Twitter, you kind of gotta know they're coming. Which is why I don't talk about them because I am mentally too weak to handle that kind of heat. Like I I simply can't. May maybe maybe. They just don't have to say they're going to murder one-year-olds. That would be I'm ideal. Not giving, I'm not giving them a pass. That would be ideal. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're they're right. I'm just saying that, like, it wasn't Kevin Hayes that did this. It, it was, was not Kevin Hayes that did that. It was his buddies. Dorks. It was his buddies. No, no, and it wasn't. Well, it was random trolls. He is friends with Barstool. Yeah, Dave Bourne is his buddy. I mean, yeah. The, but, that's his friend. Yeah, but it's, the, it's their psychotic followers that were doing that. Dave Portnoy... I know. Put me on, like, all over all of his social media. That's Kevin Hayes' buddy. I know. 
I'm not saying it was okay, but I'm 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 just saying that like I want you to back off of calling Kevin Hayes a piece of shit because he's not. They're all a piece of sh- they're all pieces of shit. Is that better? All right, like, I want to light them all. I just said I want to light them okay. all on fire. I mean, all if we want to go, all of them are pieces of shit. That's fine, but sing, yeah, no, every, singling every out Kevin Hayes is not. He seems like a nice guy. I mean, I the, the team would be a lot more likable if they were good. <laughs> yes, precisely. That, that is also true. I would like all I, of them if they were good. I probably still wouldn't, but I wouldn't want to light them on fire. The what, the reason I mentioned Kevin Hayes is is the Johnny Goudreau thing. I, I was trying to circle back to that, I, and I got very sidetracked. The one thing that we've seen happen to other teams in our division is guys from wherever want to go and play for them. The Rangers, the Penguins, the Rangers again. Like, <laughs> Rangers people again. want to... People want to go and play for these teams. They want to go home. And I have, we, we have been dying for someone to just want to come to Philadelphia. Anybody just want to come here. Johnny Goudreau made it very clear for years that he wanted to come here. For years. He had been saying, I want, like, I want to be a flyer. We all knew this. Everybody knew this. And Chuck Fletcher... Chuck Fletcher blew it. I, I think, yeah. Why, yeah. why would anybody else ever want to be like, yeah, Philly's where I want to go, when, when they did very visibly said fuck you to Johnny Goudreau? Well, they don't have the cap space, number one, so they're not going to be able to chase down anyone for a while. Here's the, the one thing that, that I thought about a lot after Fletcher was talking about how, like, well, we didn't have the cap space. You know, and this goes back to a criticism I made of Chuck Fletcher quite a few times over the last year or so is that he just doesn't seem to have much in the way of creativity. He does. He isn't nearly as creative of a general manager as some of the other GMs, because you want the honest to God truth. The flyers did have the cap space to get Johnny Goudreau. And I'm not even talking about like finding a way to trade JVR because honestly, I do agree that I would have rather not giving up that 2023 first round pick because it might be a top five pick. I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to get Connor Bedard or Mitch Koff or one of those guys. So I get that. The, the criticism there is more like, Chuck, you should have planned for this months in advance because Johnny Goudreau was coming back to Philly. You shouldn't have been like a last minute. Oh God, we have to trade JVR to fit him. What are we going to do? Here's my point. Ryan Ellis probably ain't playing again. And Joel no. Farabee, by their own admission, is not going to be ready for the start of the year. You could have pulled a Vegas and just fit Goudreau under the cap using LTIR if you really wanted to. And then and done what, it out. And then done what yeah. Vegas does all the time, <clears throat> which is figure it out later. You know why? Because if you have a shot to get Johnny freaking Goudreau, you do it. And you figure out the other shit later. And let's let's remember. I can't. I cannot believe that we are living in a world where Johnny Goudreau is a Columbus Blue Jacket. Like that is the world that we're living in because Chuck Fletcher didn't bother to even fucking call him before four p.m. Let's remember what kind of league this is as well in terms of figuring it out. Someone will bail you out. It's a good old boys network. Every. Time someone will build like Tampa does this all the time. The good teams figure out how to manipulate the cap to make it work for you, and someone will will help you figure it the fuck out. Like you could very easily wave 
one of the bad defensemen at Ron Hextall. Be like, hey, bro, remember him? Remember him? Do you want him? And Ron Hextall's an idiot, so he might take him. I cannot believe. Like, like I'm still in awe of how badly Chuck Fletcher fucked up the Johnny Goudreau situation. Like, this is something he should have started planning for last offseason. Yeah. He should have already yeah. had a plan by the trade deadline, before the trade deadline. Like, yeah. it should have been something that he had done. Like, done. Do you know what? If he and, and you guys said it. You guys said it. If he didn't pay Arizona to take Shane Gostisbehere, and kept Shane Gossesbury, he wouldn't have had to pay Tony D'Angelo. They would have had more cap space. Like, it is the, the lack of foresight, the lack of forward thinking, the lack of con- actions have consequences. It just, it doesn't seem to fucking click with anybody in the organization and certainly not the general manager. It just doesn't seem like, and I, I wrote this in a column last week. I was writing a lot of columns last week, but... It just doesn't seem like their their, pan, their plan is. Can't imagine why. Yeah, right. It doesn't seem like their plan is coherent. It seems like they have a general idea of what they want to do, and then they pivot, and they expect to like for everyone to kind of follow them along with their pivot because it makes sense internally. And I think part of the problem too, to be honest with you, and this is based on some conversations that I've had, but also just my general feeling of the way this organization is structured. I honestly think there's just too many voices because it, it feels like. It feels like Chuck, like, there was this big thing that Dave Scott was praising Fletcher for a couple years ago where he's like, it's such a collaborative environment. You know, everybody has a voice. And ideally, collaboration is great if you have a strong person at the top to make, to take all that collaboration and then come up with a cohesive plan. But it -hmm. it almost seems like he's taking everyone's advice at the same time. And because of that, like... It's like, well, today I'm going to listen to Dean Lombardi. Tomorrow I'm going to listen to the analytics department. Today I'm going to listen to Bob Clark and Paul Holmgren. Like, I just, it it feels like they're just bouncing around from idea to idea. And there's no consistency and no coherency. Which which day was the the day they listened to the analytics department, Charlie? Good question. <laughs> which, which day was that? Appa- I don't think well, they've had apparently that day yet. it was according to, I know, I heard according to Fletcher. Thing. It was the day yeah. that they decided that Tony D'Angelo was worth that. It was the tomorrow's day. That's yeah. that's. The I'm one. glad. I'm glad that was the thing they consulted the nerds about. Yeah, the Tony what D'Angelo. Co- yeah. I, what, yeah. what pick equivalents should we be giving to get Tony D'Angelo and then sign him for five million dollars? Right, that's it. So one one thing real quick. I know Bill, you're trying to take a break. Uh, one thing real Poor quick, talk. just to follow up on what Charlie said. Um, I was watching. I was watching Grey's Anatomy last night. <laughs> this is where you're taking was, this. Listen, you got to give me a second. You got to give me a second. I promise it fits. I was watching Grey's Anatomy last night and they are in, in like the middle of kind of shutting down the hospital, right? And and someone, an outside consultant came in and said, sometimes when people work together for too long, they start to be a family and they no longer work. Like they're not actually doing work because no one respects the authority of anyone else because they've been working together for so long. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing within the Flyers right now. Nobody trusts Chuck's, nobody even thinks that Chuck Fletcher has authority over them because they've just worked together for so long. Their grandpa, their grand 
pop pop like they're a family right we hear that all the time which means no one respects anyone else's authority over the team over the decisions maybe I'm, i'm not sure if i totally buy that because i don't know if they're that close but i do think there's something to be said for the idea that like there just isn't there isn't a clear direction they they don't have a clear direction and that was the big problem with this whole thing was that like if you would have done what they did i mean yeah the deloria contract would have been done regardless but like if you would have if you would have done what they did on free agency day you know, brought back Justin Braun, signed signed Deloria, I guess. But you had told the fans in January and then reiterated to the fans in May that, hey, we're rebuilding. It's going to be a rough couple years. We'll come out of this on the other side. Don't worry. I think people would have accepted the fact that they didn't go after Johnny because it would have been like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to sign a guy to a $10.5 million contract every year when for the next two, three years, we're going to suck. And by the time we get good, he's going to be in his early to mid-30s. I think people would have accepted. They would have at least understood it. But if you're going to go up there in late January and say we're aggressively retooling, and then if you're going to go back up there in May, and say that, well, maybe it's not an aggressive retool, but we're going to basically try to replicate what we did in 2019 when we got Kevin Hayes and Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun. All three, well, at least Niskanen and and Hayes, bigger names than anybody they got, and I'm including Tony D'Angelo, at least in terms of on-ice play. Um, I mean, D'Angelo's probably a bigger name for other reasons, but not good ones. Um, You know, I I was thinking about this with regards to the, the Rangers, because people talk about, the Rangers and their letter. It comes up a lot, especially with the Flyers with this rebuild. But here's here's the thing that that really cracks me up about the Rangers and their letter versus the Flyers. Everybody talks about how, well, the Rangers rebuilt and look at where they are now. Well, they didn't really. They sent the letter. They had one offseason where they sort of rebuilt. And then the next offseason, they got Jacob Truba and Artemi Panarin because Artemi Panera wanted to play in New York, and Jacob Truba wanted to be in a city with great hospitals because of his wife. And you know what? That was an inconsistent plan. That was an inconsistent because they said we're going to rebuild, and then they went out and they they spent big money on two guys. But guess what? No Rangers fan gave a shit because they were just excited that they got Artemi freaking Panera. So there was no downside. For the Flyers, in January and May, in my mind, aside from this fear that, oh, we're not going to sell tickets. Well, you guys are doing real good now, I'm sure. I'm sure you can tell that. But there was no downside for them to be like, we're going to rebuild while still keeping in the back of their heads that, hey, if free agency day rolls around and Johnny wants to come to Philly, we can sign him and no one's going to be mad that we lied to them because we just got Johnny freaking Goudreau. Whereas if you do it the other way and you say we're going to make all these big moves and then you pass on Goudreau, everybody's livid. It was a terrible, terrible way to communicate to the fans. It was awful public public relations. It was awful planning. And it just makes them look awful. Like, it just makes them look dumb and incompetent. And it didn't have to be this way if they would have planned it out better. But again, do they actually have a coherent and cohesive plan? No. No. And that's it's like they don't look at the hockey calendar until it's already upon them. And then it's like, oh, tomorrow's free agency. I guess I got a plan for that. Like, I just don't understand the level of incompetence that is coming from the front office i just don't they're buffoons i, I don't that's know it. how any of them still it's have very jobs. simple it's very simple explanation they don't know they're what bad they at their jobs yeah that's it 
All right, we're going to take... I wish I could be that bad at mine. We're going to take a quick break, and then uh, on the other side, I just want to talk about a couple things. The idea of Chuck constantly paying premiums uh, for distressed assets and things maybe you didn't need to go above and beyond for. So we're going to get into that, a couple other things. I have a fun I have a fun take on where Delorier is going to play this year. Oh, you'll look forward to it. I'll be right back on the other side. All right, welcome back, fam. Uh, I, I want to talk about, you know, uh, I've made a point to say I like the fights. And I'm fine with, with being tougher. Uh, it, it is an aspect of the game you need. You need to be tough. Uh, teams learn that it's a, it is a battle to get through a playoff series, to get through four playoff series. Uh, you're going to get hurt. You're going to have to play hurt in order to win. You have to be somewhat tough. That's fine. But this idea that in order to do so, this team needs actual enforcers. And not only do they need, you know, Zach McEwen, Nick Sealer, you know, Rasmus Ristolainen. Then they need to add yet another in Nick Delorier. And they need to do so to the term of a four-year deal. And trade protections. I don't care. It's limited, no trade, whatever. It's still a ridiculous contract. It's laughable. Uh... Why does Chuck Fletcher seem to always need to pay a premium? I swear. Yeah. I feel like I feel like if I went up to Chuck Fletcher and was like, "Chuck, give me a fucking million dollars right now." I could walk away with a check for 250 grand. No problem. Like it just seems like a year if you're going to bring in Tony D'Angelo, if you're going to make that if you're going to make that decision, you could have had him a year ago for fucking nothing. But instead, you gave up ten million bucks and a bunch of assets. Like uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, not only did you re-sign him, you gave up a first-round pick, a third-round pick, and a roster player. Who that roster player? Basically, the same guy as him. Like, I, I, I am just baffled that they make these decisions to pay premiums for guys and the prior prioritization that we talk about. Like, you know, they they understand there's a salary cap. But they never seem to realize that means you have to make fucking hard decisions that shouldn't be that hard. Like, if Ghost, if getting rid of Ghost, just getting the fuck rid of him is worth a second, and everything they gave up for Ristolainen is worth it, including the extension and all the assets. If everything they gave up for D'Angelo is worth it, the extension and all the assets, how isn't a first-round pick worth it to get Johnny Goudreau? And let's, let's, okay, the 23 first-round pick, sure. Maybe we don't want to give that up because if this team sucks, which they wouldn't with Johnny Goudreau because you have a superstar, but say they suck, you don't want to give that up. Try negotiating. How about some second and right. thirds and then the 24 first? Like, uh, Charlie's point about... Top the, five protected. Yeah, like, like can top, we talk about that? It's the first round unless we're in the top five and then you get next year's and then maybe another we third or something. We see it all the time. Like, like, why was that not... It, oh my God. It's just the most... They're late. They seem lazy. Not even not creative. They seem fucking lazy. Like while other teams, yeah, other teams are in on Risto. So obviously we had to give up a first, a third, and Hague. Like, did you? Or like, did you have to be the team that won this negotiate? Like this bet? It's like when I'm on eBay and I'm like, you know, I really want this wrestling, <laughs> this vintage wrestling T-shirt. And then I get it, and I'm like, I don't know if I need to spend eighty bucks on a used T-shirt. Yeah, like, that's yeah. uh, how they fucking negotiate. But but it, it goes into what I was saying earlier about a lack of creativity. It just seems like Chuck zeroes in on a guy. 
where it's like, this is the guy. And we're getting this guy because this is the plan. And there just there doesn't seem to be a lot of like, That's, you know. So we got we he's the guy. He's we have to get Delorier because you know we have to get tougher and we got to have our Tom Wilson protection. Even though wasn't that why they got Ristolainen? I don't know. That's how you tried to sell me on that last year. But if that that's why, then obviously we have to give him the fourth year, and obviously we have to give him the no trade protection because we've got it in our heads that we got to get this guy. It is stunning to me that they're still saying, like, I, I, I don't think that they actually said the words, like, the Tom Wilson effect. But, like, that's the player that you're trying to build your team to play against? They are, like, Tom Wilson, they are not terrified. Connor McDavid? Terrified. of, And I, and I, can, I can confirm this because I've talked to people in the organization. They are terrified of the Metropolitan Division and how tough it is and how they're going to get pushed around and their kids are going to get hurt if they don't have these guys. And I made this- They get hurt training! Yeah, that's really true. <laughs> yeah, right. I've, yeah. ne- I've never, like, oh my God. I, 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 th- like, this is the problem. There are so many problems, but that's one of them. That's one of them. If you're focusing on how to build a team to play against Tom Wilson as opposed to building a team to play against, against Nathan McKinnon, that's why you're fucking up. Yeah. And, and I made this point on the radio show last night with Bill that, you know, the people who, who really espouse and endorse that old school mentality, well, we need to be tough. You can't win cups unless you have toughness. And, like, you know what? There's probably something to that. But, you know, and, and then they'll, they'll point to, well, you know, Tampa got Pat Maroon and, you know, this team got this guy and then they, they got the, the toughness they needed to, to take the next step. And you know what? Again, maybe there's something to that. But you know what they did first? You know what those teams did first? They got the elite players. Good and they, players. And they, were, they allowed themselves to be really freaking good and rack up a ton of standings points in the regular season and win a lot of games. And then... When they needed that extra little push because they needed that Pat Maroon, that Blake Coleman, that Barclay Goudreau, then they traded for them. And guess what? A lot of them, they didn't have to pay a lot to because people wanted to go there to win a cup. What the Flyers are doing is they're doing it in reverse. They're saying we need to get the toughness before we get the elite players because reasons. And because of that, they're not getting any. There's no room for the elite players. They're not getting any discounts, and they don't have any room for the Johnny Gutros. What I and know. they're overpaying people. They're overpaying the bums because not even the bums want to play here. No, At the I'm very least, they ain't they giving just, them a discount. I, I'm convinced that that was like their first offer to Nick Delorier. Actually, I don't really think there was any negotiation there. I think they were like, "Hey, buddy, you want four years and a no move." Come on down. Anyway, it's very frustrating. The thing that really got to me on on uh, free agency day, after it became clear that we weren't moving JVR, was that uh, what's it? What's his dick? Pacioretty got moved for nothing to Carolina. I mean, right? pa- I mean, Pat <laughs> Pacioretty because I was I was dead. He's a lot. He's better good. Than He's a lot. Better not than not disagreeing with you, but like. You know, if you can move a contract for nothing, like, why, why can't Chuck work a deal for nothing? Like, we don't, you don't have to give us anything back. Just take this guy. We don't it's almost like they did it last year. Future considerations. Almost like they did it last year. It would be nice. Almost like he knows how to do it. It would be nice if they were able to find ways not to completely destroy and decimate the value right. of their players before trying to give them away. 
Like, yeah. like Shane Goss is bare. No one in the league wanted them. James Van Reem's like, no yeah. one looking. These are not bad hockey players. They're not. Are they maybe not worth their contracts? Yeah, maybe they're not worth their contracts, but they're not bad. Like, they're not the players they're bringing in who are bad. Like, JV, like, they get, they waved the white flag on this season in December. Like, they totally, they didn't bring in a real coach. They just kept Mike Yo around. They made zero moves or trades or anything to try to dig themselves out of the hole. Why weren't they doing it from then? Yeah, that's like, what I don't uh, get. It, it, you've known the for two years. Have been, yeah, the deadline should have been way more than just Drew. Like, it should have yeah. been a whole a whole ass fire sale you had from december so i want to get into this delorier thing that i I came up with last night real quick uh so just looking at cap friendly looking at the depth chart i just kind of was like thinking what the fuck is this team gonna be like how are they gonna come out on opening night what are the line combinations gonna be oh that's this is kind of just yeah like this is just more of a depth chart conversation but i'm just looking at like what we could possibly be looking at so First, like, then this is mostly based on, like, salary and past production, but let's look at a first line of Couturier in between JVR and TK. Then, forget about the injury real quick. Let's look at a second line of Hayes between Farabee and Atkinson. Then Lawton and Frost, you're looking at, you know, both can play both, and then Tippett on a third line. And then let's just say, like, Noah Cates, Patrick Brown, and Delorier on your fourth line. Well, let's go back to Farabee real quick. He's he hurt. He yeah, ain't going to be yeah. playing. He's not going to play to start the season. No. Yeah. He's going to miss yeah, at least exactly. a couple weeks. He's going to be out. So, Lawton, he's the most likely to be moved up. He's played with Hayes before. It's a thing that they do whenever there's an injury. Lawton is suddenly a second liner. So, now, Frost, he's your stay, He's your steady 3C. He's not going back and forth with Lawton. He's just your 3C. I just absolutely see... Nick Delorier, third liner, baby. Forget your fourth line. The guy with 15, uh, a career high of 15 points. He's going to go out there with Frost and Tippett uh, because he's going to make room for yeah. those kids. Yeah, he's going to create he's space. Gonna give them, yeah. He's going to create space yeah. for them loose, to do what they do. Loosen up pucks. Get it, get it on then, the four check. Oh, also, oh, yeah. also in, in this scenario, Hayden mm. Hodgson absolutely making the team. Noah Cates. No, oh Cates, God, no, I no, forgot no, that no, fucking Cates, guy. No, Cates ain't making this team. Oh, no, is no, he? Is he? Uh, is he about like, like oh, six no. times at least better than Hayden Hodgson? Absolutely, no doubt. But this team, oh, now Hayden Hodgson making this team over Noah Cates. That's happening. And that's what we're looking at with Brink hurt. We're looking, and I don't think they play Brink on a fourth line, but just saying with like the extras they have right now on their active NHL roster, Hodgson, Cates, whoever, like whoever the extra fourth liner is with Brown and then McEwen comes in. And then we get my my goal of McEwen and Delorier in the same lineup. But also it's just like, this team, how, say, say John Tortorello makes this team better defensively. Like, let's say, it all works out. D'Angelo and, uh, as me and Kelly, I think, talked about last week, like, D'Angelo and Provorov are a good combination because of, you know, that skill set. Kind of works in terms of what we think works with Provorov. This team's better defensively. Carter Hart, another another year and makes progress. Say they're a good defensive team. In what world don't they lose a shit ton of games 2-1 and 3-2? Yeah, like, absolutely. They can't score! Where are the goals going to come from? How are they ever going to score? 
It's an extremely good question. And imagine if Kevin Hayes um, is like still only like 70 to 80% of what he was before the core muscle surgeries. Then they really can't like, score. Then, they, then they're a one-line I, team. And they're going to be a one-line team because their bottom six is going to be filled with guys who just hit. Hit and fight. Because that's what they think they need. Like, I, I do not want to see the Flyers be painfully awful because it's my job to cover this team and I would like to not have to watch them be painfully awful every night. But there would be a certain satisfaction in them really, and I'm not just talking about who they've gotten, but I'm talking about like the lineups they build, the rosters they construct, the decisions they make in training camp. There would be a certain satisfaction in them really building like a gooned up physical throwback lineup and the team just getting throttled every night and just kind of being able to sit back and be like, well, this is what all you old head brushery bullies want it. This is what you want it. You're not wrong. And you got it. And this is what it is. Have fun. Have fun watching a 60 loss team. There would be a certain satisfaction in that. I mean, is it out of the realm? I don't think it is. No. Like you, get, you, you get to see Nick Delorier fight every night. And you get to see Rasmus align and awesome. get credited with seven hits, so, of which two of them are memorable. And then you get to see what you get to watch team lose five two every night. Also, it's like Fun. you have. Also, there's the the whole thing where like a lot of this hangs on Carter Hart being reasonably good and also not getting hurt because who the fuck is the backup? They don't That's have a backup bully. So they, like you have no backup bully. Yeah, you lose Carter Hart for 10 games. Like, uh, not, you know. Felix Sandstrom's your most experienced goalie. Right. It's so... They brought in a 31-year-old with four starts. You can't discount that car. I I know that we've all kind of, like, decided that the the Carter Hart down year was an aberration and is never going to happen again. But, like, we don't know that. And also, like, he's... If he gets up in his head about something, like a, an investigation of some kind, like, he could turn to shit again. I don't know. But, like, there's so much hanging on these, like, incredibly precarious little tiny, like, you ever go rock climbing and there's, like, the little tiny handholds you just get the tips of your fingers on? Like, I feel like so much of the Flyers actually being a competent hockey team is, like, hanging by the tips of your fingers. And you could fall off so easily if, like, one little thing goes wrong. Yep. That sounds about right. Who, um... Charlie, it's not great, is it? It's not great. It's actually bad. Actually bad? Yeah, okay. Who do you think gets the C? It's going to be Kateri. It's got to be Kateri, I think. think. I mean, I look, I, right. I've said on the, we've, we've had this, Bill, honestly, I'm sick of this conversation. I know, we've done this We've had this conversation like five <laughs> times. Every time you ask it, I'm like, I'd give it to Lawton, but it's going to be Kateri. It's still that same thing. Nothing has changed. Maybe maybe because they hired Tort- Tortorella, there's a slightly higher chance they give it to Atkinson. That's really the only change that's happened in the last two months. Like, I, I'm mm. tired of this conversation. I just was, like, shut it down. I don't... Uh, I can't imagine strapping anyone with, like, I would not want it if I was on this team. Like, no, I'm not going to be the face of this fucking franchise. That's a joke. It's probably going to be Couturier. And, like, I'm I'm just so sick of all of them. All of them. Can I tell you how little I give a fuck about who the captain is? Like, okay, you talk to to the refs, buddy. I, I literally could not care less. The way no. that people think it means something, it, it's, it's really not that important. I just don't like them as a team. They're not likable. 
they're not likable. And I, I had something really important that I was going to say, and I can't remember now, so I'm doing great. I just think uh, that everyone involved with the Flyers needs to take a big old step back and realize just how badly they have bungled this. Like, I, I truly wonder if the people involved actually get how negatively they are viewed right now. Because I don't know. They, I, I don't think there is a hint of positivity left in this fan base. No, I, I there's it's it's gone. It's gone. And and you've done it in ways like you found a way to piss off everyone. Like everyone. Like, you, you pissed off anyone that is remotely left of center for getting Tony D'Angelo. You pissed off everyone else for not going after Johnny Goudreau. You pissed off a bunch of other people because you traded Claude Giroux. You pissed off a bunch of other people because you bought out Oscar Lindblom. Like, all they've been doing this offseason, really since, like, March of this past of this year, all they've been doing is, like, finding more and more ways to piss off the fans. Like, it's, it, it's, it's a failure of PR, but it's also a fa- failure of execution. Like, it's like they don't get that these, de- these decisions they make are just digging the hole deeper and deeper with the fan base. I don't think they, they do, and I don't... An, th- I think it's, it's actually an ownership catastrophe. I think that th- th- what they've done, and I hate blaming Dave Scott for this because he's not... Like, he's not actually in charge of the hockey team, but he is in charge of the personnel. And what he is allowed to happen... And and what Chuck Fletcher has done. Like, I, I am completely convinced, maybe not in our lifetime, but definitely while we're covering the team, we're not going to see a cup. Like, they're just not, we're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. And I can't, like, I seriously, I've, I've been sitting here for days trying to figure out a way out of this, outside of sell the team and start over again. I mean, I don't think it has to go so, that far. So that's but not going to happen. It's not number one. It's not going to happen. Number two, no, I, I don't think I don't not. think it has to of go that far. Of course, it's not. Like it, things are always do seem worse than they actually are. I don't think this is a situation that like has to take a decade to fix because I don't it think doesn't. I don't think they are in like if you look at their contract situation. I don't think it's like the worst in the world. I think if a smart front office were to come in and make some creative moves, yeah, they're not they're not going to be a contender this year. Probably not next year, but like you get you get some high picks. If Cutter Gauthier pans out, if some of these other prospects work out, you make some shrewd trades. Teams turn things around, can turn things around pretty quickly in the NHL. It's possible, and I'm not saying within a year, but I'm saying like three to five. But that said, they need to have someone and people at the helm that are making smart decisions. And if so, if you got people at the helm who are re-signing Rasmus Line and signing Nick Delorier to four-year contracts, then you've got not just a you, you don't just have a general manager problem; you have an organizational problem. So what I was getting and mm. not only are they doing that, sorry Kelly, they are also saying, "Oh no, it's too hard to move contracts. We can't do that. There's a cap." So getting back to Charlie's point about the front office not realizing what they're doing. And I do think there's something to that. I had a conversation with Micah once. It was in reference to the way that really good hockey players always sign with their shitty teams and it never makes any sense to me. Like, why would Connor McDavid stay at Edmonton? And he said, which is a way I never thought of it before, 
that in Connor McDavid's mind, Edmonton isn't shit because he's there. And these are these are the guys in this front office are lifelong professional athletes who very likely have that same attitude, which is we're making these moves. So they're good moves. Like they don't have any doubt in their mind that they're making the right moves and everyone who's criticizing them is wrong. So really the only way they're going to figure it the fuck out is like Charlie said, they lose 60 fucking games next season because they put together a team that was meant to compete in 1977 and not 2022. And if that's what it takes, like I'm willing to sit through that for a season if that's what it takes to get these guys to to reevaluate. But I really do think, I genuinely think that each and every one of these idiots thinks they're making the best possible moves for the Flyers and they know what they are doing and everything is great. And the people that are criticizing them are idiots who don't know what they're talking about. And they're going to see once this team gets on the ice, just how good it is and how tough they are to play against and blah, 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 blah. It's, we've said it a thousand times. The entire front office has to go. It can't just be the general manager. It has to be all of them. Because the the Dave Scott problem is that I think that he, not being a hockey guy, listens to all the cool hockey guys that are hanging around, and they tell him that Chuck Fletcher is good, and they tell him that these moves are good, and he's like, well, if Bob Clark said they're good, I guess they're good. Like, these people just can't be around anymore. At all. I, for a long time, thought it was an impossibility that this team ever gets sold. And I still think it's, like, I'm not spreading around any of the petitions. I'm sure you guys get tagged in them, too. Like, I didn't, that's not my job. That's, like, that petition, a billboard, that's not going to do anything. They don't care. Uh, but I will say, a couple of things are happening right now. We talk about Comcast as a business, and this is just one of their, one of their many industries in which they have some sort of foothold. Um, their season ticket base is dwindling. Their, the income that they're going to get from owning this team seriously going to start dwindling. No one's buying a jersey. People aren't going to go to games at the rate they did anymore. It's not going to happen. On top of that, the Sixers, their tenant, in which the, like, the Sixers lease their court time from Comcast Spectacor, who owns the Wells Fargo Center. The Sixers have a poll in the field right now. There's like political calls going on, but it's the Sixers asking people about things they want to know about the team. And one of the questions that's being asked is when the lease is up in 2031, the Sixers have a lease through 2031 at the Wells Fargo Center, where would you maybe want to see a new arena? And, uh, like, the options are Camden, Center City, and, uh... uh, For the Sixers? Yeah, for the Sixers. Yeah. Camden, Center yeah, City, care. and there was a third. Uh, there was a third option, but wasn't it if, Chinatown? It's no, that, like that's that that's Phillies. where the yeah that's where the Phils wanted to go a bunch of years ago. I but regardless, no, regardless, uh, like if they're gonna build a new arena and not be paying the Flyers money anymore, if the Flyers aren't gonna make money on their own, what's the incentive for Comcast Spectacor to keep like in this business? All right, so let's talk about Comcast. Comcast, the conglomerate, is valued at, I just looked it up, $270 billion. 
the Flyers don't like they don't matter to Comcast the conglomerate. They don't matter. They don't make enough money. They don't lose enough money. They don't matter. Like I don't think that people can can like really wrap their heads around how much one billion dollars is, let alone two hundred and seventy billion dollars. The Flyers do not matter to Comcast the conglomerate. But that's to say, like, okay, so no billion dollar corporation ever gets rid of a division that just isn't as profitable as it used to be. Yeah, every but- division ever in every conglomerate is still running. So, so Bill, I'll, I'll jump in here. Number one, I do not think the Flyers are going to be sold. Number two. I don't either. Number two. I'm just saying. Okay, well, let, let, me, let me finish. Let me finish. Number two. I think Comcast will look at the Flyers. I mean, right now, this is a moment where it just it seems like the Flyers are never going to be good again, and for the next 20 years, they're going to be pathetic, and we're going to be, you know, like, we're going to be going gray, and they're still going to be... Like, it's... No, that's not going to happen. Like, it's just not. The, the, the cycles of the NHL go, and teams get better, and teams get worse. Maybe they won't win a cup, but they're not going to be this bad. Comcast looks at the Flyers as, as a part of their portfolio where... If they're good, they are such a big moneymaker. The upside with the Flyers is enormous. And also add in the fact that they also like have cable TV and TV networks and stuff like that. It's easy programming. Like there's a lot of reasons for, for Comcast to keep the Flyers. Number three, and this is some look, I've been beating this this drum for a long time. It got people really, really mad at me last year. That was a lot of freaking fun particularly on social media, particularly when there were other people who were acting like anyone who wasn't acting like Comcast was the goddamn devil were derelict in their duties as a beat writer. That was a blast. But anyway, I don't like I don't think Comcast as an entity is what's holding back the Flyers for for any reason other than they haven't to this point been willing to shake up the front office. But yes. they could, at any point over the next 12 months, decide we need to shake this up. And then suddenly, they've shaken it up, they've gotten rid of a bunch of people, and there's still a multi-billion dollar conglomerate behind them that's willing to spend a crap load of money. I mean, they're still refurbishing the Wells Fargo Center. They're still spending oh, yeah. a ton of money on that, and they know they're not going to see, they have to know, they're not going to see any return in the near future because no one's going to show up. They'll maybe see it with concerts and stuff, but that's about it. And my point is, is that, like, yes, if you're, if you're a fan of the team, if, you want, if it makes you feel better to pressure Comcast to sell, sure. I would more, like, I think it's a much better strategy for fans rather than have this pipe dream that they're going to sell basically say we're not going to spend any more money on this team unless you unless you you shake everything up unless you fire everybody because that hits them in their wallet it does it doesn't it isn't this pipe dream that comcast is just going to get so frustrated with that random fuck you comment they read on twitter that day and they're going to up and sell the team like the pressure you need to be putting on them is monetary in the sense that this team has the potential to make a lot of money we're losing a lot of money because we're bad and we have to do something and that's not selling the team, that's making changes. That's what the pressure should be. Because I don't think, yes. number one, I don't think they're going to sell. Number two, I don't even think them selling is necessarily a great thing. Because right now, this team has a huge corporation that's willing to spend all the money on it. The problem is they're not spending the money well because the people making the decisions are not spending the money well. But 
it's not that hard to get new people in to make better decisions with that blank check. If you get a new owner in here, there's no guarantee they're willing to spend as much money as Comcast. Nope. No guarantee at all. Yeah. Yeah. And and what I the point that I want to make about ticket sales and Comcast. Com again, Comcast doesn't give a shit about the Flyers ticket sales. Like Comcast, the conglomerate, does not give a shit. When they see Flyers ticket sales go down in the millions of dollars, that's like them thinking they had a hundred bucks and really only having 90. Like it's not millions of dollars in loss to Comcast. The conglomerate is fucking nothing. But we think it's a big deal because hearing that Comcast or, or Spectacore lost $10 million and well, I'm just making stuff up, but like it sounds like a big deal. When your valuation as a conglomerate is $270 billion, you don't care until the numbers start to reach the billions of dollars. But, like, corporations shut down failing departments all the time, and they move on from But them. this yes. isn't a failing department. Not the buyers are always right, going to generate money. Not right now, it isn't. I'm talking about a situation in which, over the next few years, ticket sales continue to dwindle. There's a looming, hey, we're losing our number one tenant, and we just sunk a bunch of money into a totally renovated arena, which owning your own arena makes a team more valuable. That would be very, that would be like something a new owner would look at and go, oh, I still, uh, I own the rink. Like, I'm just looking at a situation in which the losses pile up for this team and they get out ahead of that over the next few years. I don't think it's no, likely. I think, I think I, it's more likely than it's been in the last 20 years. I think that we're more likely to see sweeping changes from Comcast Spectacore than for them to sell. At the, the very least, they're going to do that first. Yeah, they would like yeah. fire Dave Scott and like replace the whole. Yeah, the whole. Like arm. it would, it would be real fucking dramatic, and they would do that first. We would see it coming from like a year or two away. Like we, we would know. We're not there yet. Yeah, I mean, we're envisioning this year is going to be a total disaster, and. Yeah. And and part of it is that, I mean, you've heard the stories about how many people are canceling their season tickets or want to cancel their season tickets, about how few people are going to go games. Like, and you saw the arena last year. Like, it could be worse. So, like, we're expecting at the very least it's going to be a disaster from a financial standpoint. We're also expecting it's going to be pretty bad on ice. But, like, let's say that John Tortorella drags this team to mediocrity. They're in a playoff race. They don't make it, but, like, they're not bad. And then people start showing up again to a degree. It's disappointing, but it's not a total disaster. Like, there's easily a scenario where that's the way it plays. And honestly, that would be a bad thing for this team over the long term because they probably need to bottom out. But it wouldn't be the worst thing for Comcast. You know what I mean? And then it's the 13th overall pick that they wouldn't trade for Johnny Goudreau or the 17th overall pick that they wouldn't trade for Johnny Goudreau. I'm just— Well, I, well that's— I, I, let's, well, let's go into this for a second because— I've been trying to piece together, like, what is Chuck Fletcher's actual plan? Like, what, what, it, he doesn't no, know. No, I, I think he does. I just think it's a bad one, but I think there is a plan here. And I think what his plan is, I think this is how he envisions this going. And I, I will explain it, and then I will talk about why I think it's not going to work. I think what he envisions is that we hire John Tortorella, we got tougher to play against. We're not going to be real good next year, but we're going to be better. Some of these young kids are going to take steps forward. 
we're going to be much better coached. We're going to have that physical edge that we didn't have last year because, and we haven't had for years because we have to be the friggin' Flyers. And we're going to be okay. We might not make the playoffs, but we're going to be okay. So, all right, now we're not utterly pathetic anymore. We've gotten to that level of competence. Then it's, okay, well, how do we get the high-end talent that can take us from being okay to being actually a contender? And I think his hope, which is the biggest, like, you actually think this is going to work, Chuck, kind of thing, is that he thinks that basically, like, well, we're just going to keep drafting and we're going to keep developing, and eventually one of these guys we draft and develop is going to be the next Claude Giroux. Because that's the only way, like, unless you think you can take the big leap with Tortorella, you're basically hiring Tortorella to make you mediocre, which will put you in the middle of the draft, which means that you believe that you can find a star or two in the middle of the draft, which, by the way, real, real hard to do. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. you run into a Claude Giroux, but it doesn't happen often. May, and they, they, maybe they believe that Cutter Gauthier is that star. That, okay, well, we got one because they're sold on him. Then I like Cutter Gauthier, but, like, I don't think you can depend on that. And then they're thinking, well, eventually we're going we're gonna to luck into a guy or two. And to me, like, that's got to be the plan. That has to be what their plan is because it doesn't make sense any other way. And it's so much based on this idea of we're just going to find guys. Like, they're just going to pop up and be real good and be better than people think. And then suddenly, we're going to have this really good coach, coaching a hard-to-play-against team with these young guys that we've drafted and developed coming in and pushing us over the top. I think it's a dumb plan, but I think that's their plan. Now, it's it's always smart to depend on... John Tortorella coaching a bunch of young guys. That's that's a great fucking plan, Charlie. But like they had they had a guy fall into their lap. They had Johnny Goudreau fall into their lap, and Chuck was like, "Nah." But I, but I think I think the reason why he didn't do that, and again, this is I'm I'm putting myself in Chuck's mind. Number one. He decided it was going to be too hard with cap space, and he felt like, well, if we're going to replenish, if we're going to try to get this, like, well, we got to get young players to be the next, like, group of elite guys, we can't be giving away first-round picks anymore. So that was number one. Number <laughs> two, so, so there's like, okay, we don't want to do that. Number two, he didn't think the timeline quite lined up with John, where it's like, well, we get Johnny, but we're not, we're not true contenders for the next two, three years. Then you change the timeline. I don't disagree with you, but I'm telling you, this is what I think Fletcher, that is like, well, you, co- <gasps> you combine the fact that I don't want to give up more first and the fact that, that Johnny will be in his early 30s by the time we're ready to contend that he didn't want to dump that much money considering the fact that he was also going to have to give up assets to, uh, to, to bring him in, in the first place. Again, none of this actually lines up with what they've done because if that's the case, if, if, so, if you're so concerned about assets then why did you spend all those to get d'angelo and right and Ristolina? if you're so concerned yeah. if, if you don't think that you're going to contend for two to three years then why did you hire john tortorella like this is what i'm saying where like i i can see kind of what he's thinking but if you scratch below the surface none of it actually holds up because it's not consistent and it doesn't actually make any cohesive sense but i think that's the thought process is that they're, it's because there's two different Chuck Fletchers. It's that they're gonna they're gonna find the next couple flyer superstars somewhere in the twelve to eighteen range of the draft, and then we're That's all gonna plan. and then we're all gonna be like, look at how smart they are. It's almost like it's a plan that literally just failed by his predecessor. Yes, it's a plan that literally just failed. 
The like, only di- the every, only difference is at least at least Hextel had a couple elite players on his team. Every this team has great none. Team, well, Couturier maybe, uh, but not on the level of Voracek and Giroux. At least not Giroux. Every great team has a bunch of guys from the top of the draft. Yep. Like yep. It, not just one. Not just like oh, we got Nolan Patrick. Maybe that'll work because we were supposed to draft thirteenth, but we draft second. Like no, like multiple years in the top five. They don't think they need to do that, and they don't think they need to give up assets to get elite players. They're just going to get them. That's fucking stupid. All right. Are we done? My dog needs to go out. We're at an hour 15. <laughs> I, yeah, I just had to take Bear out while we were yelling. So, yes, the one, the, the last thought that I have is the Flyers think, the Flyers think no, they that don't. they've made themselves hard to play against. But what they've actually done is made themselves the laughing stock. No, they made themselves hard like to watch it. is what they no, made it's, themselves. Yeah, hard to watch is the, uh, like, working in sports radio at a station that gives the Flyers less than no attention, they're getting attention these last two weeks. That is true. Because everyone's fucking mad. Like, yeah. it, th- my show last night, I had Charlie on, and the show before, they had ASF on. Like, there were two guests inside of three hours to talk about the Flyers. You know Why? People want to talk about them and be fucking mad about how bad they are. It's absolutely insane. All right. That is all the time we have for you. On I mean, B- I'm around if you want to talk to a woman about the Flyers. That is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, search BSH, or no, search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, and boom, you'll hit that subscribe button. I'm lost in my outro. Let's wrap it up. Uh, my name is Bill Matz for Kelly, for Charlie, for Steph. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!